Um, today's scripture reading is taken from Isaiah 12, verses 1 to 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me and I'll read for us. Isaiah 12, verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is God's word. Thank you, Sid, for reading us God's Word this morning. Thank all of you for being here in our first service. Blessed Christmas to you and to all of you who are joining us online on our YouTube channel. We're grateful that you've joined us in this unusual Christmas. Now, I recognize that that text that Sidney read for us is also a little bit unusual, isn't it, for Christmas? I mean, usually we're in Matthew or Luke. We're celebrating mangers, saviors, stars, and now we're looking at a text that was written 700 years, more than 700 years before that first Christmas. It's unusual because all this month during Advent and now at Christmas, we've been doing a small series from the book of Isaiah, a man who heard from God of a coming joy that the nation had not yet experienced, and some of us even in our world today have not yet experienced. I uh, recall when I was uh, still quite new in Malaysia, I was 13, and my sense of adventure and lack of forethought caused me to decide to climb Mount Santabong, which is somewhere outside of Kuching in Sarawak. And so off I set, that's my sense of adventure, without bringing with me any water. That's my lack of forethought. And as a young Canadian boy, it was beyond my imagination how quickly you can lose water from your body in the tropics. It wasn't long before I, I was just so incredibly thirsty. So thirsty, my mouth was dry. I was with a friend, he was Iban, he didn't seem to be having any problem. But I was in great distress, so much so that when we met, reached the summit, it's not really high, I fell on my knees and began to drink water. Out of, it wasn't really a pond. It was more of a, a big puddle full of water the color of puarta. I just drank it. While my friend said, no, no, not healthy, not healthy. I still drank it. I was just that thirsty. I wonder how many of you have been that thirsty. How many of you have experienced absolute dehydration? I'm not sure if you've thought about this or not, but it is actually a gift, thirst, 
that God has given us. I know even all my years as a pastor, I haven't even heard a Christian, a church member say, whoa, pastor, I'm so thirsty. Thank you, Jesus. We don't generally thank God for this gift, which is why I call thirst a difficult grace. It's difficult because it's not pleasant. Most of us don't enjoy being thirsty. We don't think, oh, I just need a drink and I'm so glad I'm thirsty. It is a difficult grace. Grace, why? Grace is a gift that I have not earned. It's evidence of God's unmerited favor toward me. It's a grace that exposes something he has placed in me. In this case, in our bodies, a need for constant hydration. Most of us do not every morning put in our calendar, don't forget to drink. We don't have that in our daily planner because of this difficult grace, this gift that God has given us. We will automatically begin to drink as our thirst prompts us to. In ancient warfare... If your, or excuse me, if your armies controlled or destroyed the food sources, you could conquer your enemy in four or five months. But if your armies controlled or destroyed the water sources, you could destroy your enemy in three or four days. At the time of writing this Old Testament Christmas song, Israel was in great distress. They were divided and they were occupied by a foreign army. These armies of Assyria, what is now modern-day Iraq, did not attack in the south, which would have been the closest in proximity to Babylon. Instead, they went north and attacked, conquered, and occupied all of the northern territories of Israel, why does this matter? Because that is where the headwaters of the Jordan River are, the river that irrigates all of the land. People lived with daily water and food scarcity. They were in great distress. These were dark days for them. And in the midst of these dark and thirsty days, when the land was full of despair and anxiety, Isaiah, this awkward prophet, has heard a word from God and he starts to sing a happy song. And up until now, the first 11 chapters have been full of distress. As one uh, old Scottish preacher said, it was full of earthquakes and thunder. But now... The book turns with this song, and we're going to see that in difficult days, this difficult grace will lead us to Christmas, or perhaps I could say difficult grace is designed with mercy in mind. Now, I hope I'm not going to ruin Christmas for some of you. I'm talking to church members but you, you understand, right, that the 25th of December is not actually Jesus' birthday. He, he was not born on the 25th of December. 
Shepherds do not stay out all night in the middle of December watching their sheep. In fact, for the first 300 years, Christians didn't even mark out a special day to celebrate the birth of Christ because for them, being born is not that uncommon. But being killed and having a grave that could not hold you, that was unusual. They celebrated that day. But for over 300 years, Christians did not celebrate a special day for Jesus' birth. It was actually a Roman emperor named Constantine who established the 25th of December. Why? Because during the winter solstice, the most popular holiday in the Roman calendar was the holiday of Saturnalia, which was all around the worship of the god Saturn, who was the god of fruitfulness, both of the land and of the loins. And all across the Roman Empire, families would gather and exchange gifts. Does that sound familiar? And some historians would say, well, he, he changed this emperor when he had a dream and he saw a cross and heard a voice under this banner, will you conquer? But what we need to realize about the Roman Empire, about every empire, is some of the battles are overseas, but the biggest battle is right at home. And what Constantine was interested in was diminishing the political influence of all these temples. And so he planted this new, quote-unquote, Christian holiday. And yet still, for 500 years, Christians did not celebrate this 25th of December as Christmas. But gradually, it became an important day. Because, I mean, all of you know about winter solstice, the shortest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. Do you know that technically Singapore is in the Northern Hemisphere? Right, so I don't know if you noticed, but on Tuesday, that day was six minutes shorter than Tuesday in June. Yeah, shorter. But in my hometown, this past Tuesday, the sun didn't come up until 9.14 in the morning, and it went down at 4.14 in the afternoon. In Vancouver, the day was eight hours shorter, and the whole day rained. And so in Europe, by the time Luther was alive, it was a long darkness in need of the light and life of this hope in Christ. And so increasingly in the West, this day was celebrated because every day after winter solstice, the dawn will get sooner, the light will be longer. That is the hope that Isaiah spoke of in this song. Verse 1, he says, You shall say, in that day, in the day of difficult grace, I will give thanks to the Lord. For though you were angry with me, do you see this sense of Isaiah said, God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. If this has happened, it's happened because he has allowed it with purpose to turn our hearts afresh to him. Your anger has turned away that you might Comfort me. Isaiah recognized that the difficult was placed there to bend our hearts toward his mercy. And in this first stanza, 
he is prompted by this difficult grace to seek God's divine compassion. Isaiah calls Israel not in a happy day, in a difficult day, and he calls us in this deep, dark year of 2020 to recognize this difficult grace is allowed by God to turn us afresh to Him, to depend on Him. Uh, I wonder if you would say, boy, this year has been rough, but it's made me thirsty for the strength I can only find in God. This was the beginning of Isaiah's outburst of joy in a dark and difficult day. And that's why John Piper has said this, Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. Why? It will not have its intended effect until we feel desperately the need for a Savior. And that's why in the middle of that dark and long European winter, many Christians began to realize this is why He came. He did not come to establish a new global religion. He did not come to teach His followers and die in their tender hospice care. He came to live so that we might have life. He came to bear the weight of God's wrath on our idolatry, our turning away. And this is why this song has such extraordinary joy. I imagine that some of us never even considered that the difficulty we endure is a sign of God's great affection for us. Because just like that 13-year-old, we wander off on our great adventure in life without ever stopping to think we might need something and it's not in our calendar. So he gives us the difficult grace of thirst. Israel was living just like some of us, just like me, living their life oblivious to their need for God, unmindful that without him they were incomplete and insufficient clamoring in their own way to find solutions for difficulty, they were desperate. And so verse 2, behold, God is my salvation. Not the political alliances being sought by my king, not the personal merit that I bring to every desperate situation, not the idols that have begun to clutter up my heart and my home in the dark days when all of my efforts are exhausting and exhausted. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength. He is my song and he has become my salvation. Notice, he wasn't always my salvation because there was a time when I was going my own way, seeking my own solutions, pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. I should have researched that. I have no idea what that means. Just being my own strength until those moments 
I'm in a doctor's office and I hear the word cancer until those moments I hear there's a virus that cannot be controlled until the moment I come to the end of myself and my thirst for something better bends my heart toward him. In case you're wondering, the name Jesus means God is salvation. I was raised in a culture that taught me be your own salvation. God helps those who help themselves. That may be a Canadian cultural moray, but it's not biblical. The biblical perspective is I come in my brokenness and my need and he is my salvation. I add nothing to him. He doesn't look better because I follow him. I am finding myself in a day and a year of difficult grace and now I know he is my salvation. But second, when thirst is quenched, Thanksgiving is normal. Now, I don't know how you, you all are with your, your parents, but uh, my, my father and I, my, my father, let me, for those of you who don't know me, he was a good, godly man. But, but there was a huge cultural gap between my father's generation and my generation that, that, that had nothing to do with music. It, it really wasn't about the music. It, it was just our generations had experienced such a different world. In my father's generation, if you didn't work, I mean, you didn't eat. In my father's generation, until you could send them to, to work, children were just a huge sacrifice. And, and so my father was sent by my grandfather to work to the timber mill when he was just 14 years old. Still, still in junior high. Dropped out of school so he could contribute to the family. Um, we, we always, in my family, had to eat everything on our plate because my dad would say, there's, there's a wee boy in Scotland who's going to bed hungry tonight. And so I have this vivid image of walking by the dining room table and there my older brother is sitting, staring morosely at his six English peas that he doesn't want to eat. But he's got to eat everything on his plate because Scottish boys are going to bed hungry. That was my father's generation. My, my generation had it easier. The government paid for my education and my health care. When I got married, they gave me a bonus for every child we had. The more children, the bigger the bonus. Plus, we got a monthly allowance for every child for food and clothing. And, and, and and I've got to be honest with you. My generation doesn't love the government because we feel entitled to it. We're Canadian. You, you need to give it to me. Now, now, let me just ask you this. Are there ever times in your life when you're really a bit unhappy with God? Be, because he's not doing what you expect you are entitled to? You, you expect to have grace without difficulty. You expect to have blessings without affection. We're a different generation, right? 
Isaiah calls us back to thanksgiving with joy. Those of you who are thirsty will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. We were not entitled to grace. We didn't earn it by our birthright. But in His mercy, we will call upon His name. We will make His deeds known among the people, proclaim that His name is exalted. You can hear this in every shopping mall in Singapore. Christmas is uniquely a day of song. Because in the middle of a dark, desperate day, light and life came to us. And so we sing. Now, now I kind of noticed that the words are muted here because, you know, religious harmony, we don't, we don't want to offend anybody with our particular joy. But it's about song that bubbles up in a difficult day, just as it did for this man, Isaiah. And verse 5, he says, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously let this be made to, known to all the earth. And that's why at that first Christmas, while the shepherds probably in late March were out at night watching their flock, the announcement was made by angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. The conflict is ending among those whom he is well pleased. Peace has come. What had he done in that moment? He had poured himself into the flesh of a little tender child. He began to reverse the curse of our rebellion, our turning away from him for strength, turning into ourselves. He had forgiven my tendency to self-elevate, to seek praise for myself. And while we were his enemies, he became our peace. He became our life. He became our hope. So shout and sing, O inhabitant of Singapore. Yes, I've contextualized the script. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. He was always great, but he wasn't great in their midst. He was great on the high holy mountain. His greatness and holiness was sheltered by thick currents. But this announcement, 700 years before Christ came, this announcement declared, I am moving in. That's what Emmanuel means. God in our midst. God with us. He's great in the middle of you. Great in your neighborhood. Great in the middle of this COVID season. Shout and sing for joy. You know, um, this past Sunday, I usually walk slash run in, in the early morning, but on Sundays, I go in the afternoon. It's a bit crowded, but I still go just because I'm competitive. Sherry, I'm tracking her got away. So about halfway, I usually stop in a toilet, Marine Cove, splash water in my head, 
And I'm standing there where men stand, and a little Singaporean boy comes in and stands next to me at safe distance. And um, awkwardness began because, is, is it a thing here? We, we, don't, we don't just, like, we drop our pants right to the floor. Everything. Right to the floor. And fortunately, he was followed by his older brother. And I thought, oh, thank goodness. He's going to say, hey, bro, just lift him up a little bit. The floor is wet. Not awesome. But instead, he went off on this very random topic while leaning over his little brother. He says, you know, uh, my teacher used to be a banker. But then she went away and learned something, so now she's a teacher. Now, Claire's not here, right? Nothing with, about bankers. I'm just the messenger. The point is we all know something because we've all learned something, right? My generation, we learned and had the benefit of directed information, meaning everything I learned was given to me by a trusted authority in my culture, a teacher, a scientist, a newspaper, parents, not WhatsApp, by the way. That's not one of those. All of us learned truth that we could trust. Most of us have education. We've gone away and we've learned something. And that is why we know only a fool would look up at a dark and cloudy day and deny the existence of the sun that he cannot see. Because our education trusted us that the sun is still out there, even if I cannot see it. The sun exists, even if you don't believe in it, even if you haven't touched it, even if on a day like this we cannot see it, the sun exists. This is why Isaiah had joy in the middle of a dark day, because even in darkness and despair, he knew God exists. He lives. Uh, this, this is not the moon. I was reading recently a story that actually uh, occurred first in National Public Radio. So I was reading the transcripts of the story. And the headline of the story was this, space is dark, but scientists have found unexplained light. Uh, five years ago, NASA sent out this New Horizon probe because they wanted to get a clearer picture of Pluto, the, the smallest planet, which apparently has been demoted to something less than a planet. This is the photo it took of Pluto as it was buzzing by, and after it took this photo, it just kept on going. You, you, you know, that probe right now is more than four billion miles away from Earth taking photographs, and, and scientists are getting the clearest picture we've ever had of deep, dark space. And, and then they began to think, hey, it's kind of like Singapore, right, where you can't really see the stars because there's so many lights here? So, so they began to use sophisticated software to mute the light of reflected space dust. And they saw things a little more clearly. And then they began to 
mute the light reflected by moons and planets, and then they went to stars and universes. And what they've been amazed by is after they've muted all that, there remains off in the distance this huge, powerful, throbbing light. Hold on. I, I'm not saying right now, there you go. There's evidence God is out there somewhere. I'm not saying, oh, they've discovered heaven. Isn't that glorious? Now we can believe that what we believe is true. No, I'm just saying, actually asking a question. Have you, have you decided you know everything there is? Or are you still open to mystery? Is, is it possible? Have you considered that there might be something out there you've never considered? And while you're trying to make sense of this difficult COVID season, is it possible that this year has been a gift so that you might thirst for God, find strength in Him, remember how at that first Christmas He moved close into the neighborhood that He lives even now to give us strength and life and light for dark days. I spent 15 years desperately trying to reject the faith of my father. 15 years trying to prove that agnosticism was an educated man's way. 15 years running from the concept of God. And then after I began to ask myself, if it's true, why am I still thirsty? Why am I sitting on this highway reading the Quran? Why was I reading the Gita last week? If, if agnosticism and education is a way, why am I still thirsty? Why am I still chasing some way to fill this God-shaped void in Ian? I had a dark and difficult day, which was God's grace to me. My guess is that before this year began, when you think of 2020, you think of, oh, perfect eyesight. I don't have it. I just have to take my glasses off and you all disappear. If you have 2020 eyesight, you see things clearly, right? And maybe even in this year of 2020, in this difficult grace, God has given us opportunity to relook, to re-examine to find again the joy of Christ, to gain strength not from our own efforts to protect a nation, but through the strength that only God gives. This is good news. But friends, good news is kind of like a vaccine, right? It'll only benefit you if you receive it. And this is why this song of Isaiah is not really for the faithful. 
It's not really for the committed and the convinced. It is for the unfaithful. In just a moment, our worship leaders are going to lead us in a song that's going to sound almost familiar. Come, all you unfaithful. These are the lyrics. Come, weak and unstable. Come, barren and waiting ones. Weary of praying ones. Come, bitter and broken. Come with fears unspoken. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Will you bow your heads with me just for a moment? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I, I just really believe that none of us are here um, by accident, but by God's providence. Many of you are already believers. But, but somehow, you have wandered off from your source of strength. You've been convinced that, you know, you just need to sanctify your occupation, but be successful in every way. And while you've been chasing success, your soul has become drier and drier and drier. Christmas is a reminder that even in difficult days, there's a path back. Drink deep again, friend. Let His Spirit irrigate your soul. Would you take a moment just where you are? You're, you might even be a church member here. And you realize, oh, Lord, I've been despairing over the difficult. I've been angry that you have not blessed me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Be my strength. Equip me for next year to sing songs of thanksgiving, full of expectant hope. And, and maybe, maybe you've just come online here watching us on YouTube, or, or maybe you're even here in our first service. You're not a believer. You don't consider yourself one. Bless you for being here. I'm not trying to give you a sales pitch because I'm confident your presence is evidence that this God of strength and glory is pursuing you. Have you considered that he is something you have never considered? Have you considered how dry and devoid your life is of true joy and peace and confidence in the future. He came not for people who are religious, but for people like me and for people like you. Men and women who have wandered off doing their own thing, but still thirsty. Right where you are, in the quietness of your own heart, you can reach back to this God and say, oh God, if you're real, 
move into my neighborhood. Fill me with your glory and holiness. Help me to know what joy is. Pursue and overtake me for your glory. Father God, we thank you for the promise of Christmas. We thank you that you are a God who is not high and lifted up, but you're a God of mercy and compassion who is mighty to save. There is no darkness that you cannot pierce with your glory. We bless you for your son, Jesus, who even in the calling of his name reminds us you are salvation. God, we thank you that you hear the prayers of the people you have created and designed with a thirst for you. I pray that men and women in this room, watching online, wherever they are, would sense a completeness in you. Fill them with joy and peace and hope for today and tomorrow. Do it for your namesake, we pray. Amen.